This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You are listening to Fresh Tracks Weekly. Just know that there's also a video portion to this podcast, uh, so you can check that out on Randy Newberg Hunter YouTube channel. They will be posted there every week. This is Fresh Tracks Weekly. We are out on the ice. Uh, last light. We've been on a long drive today. I'm out here with Jay Spear and Michael Parenti. We're currently filming another episode of Any Fin Goes. Um, telling a little Montana lake trout story. I'm marking fish right now, maybe. I don't know. My sonar's going crazy. But task at hand. We're running out of light. So, speaking of Any Fins, we just released a walleye episode over on the subscription platform fresh tracks plus so if you remember if you're a subscriber check it out it's a really cool one uh next week on fresh tracks plus we'll have some lessons learned content going up we got some trail cam compilation videos michael put together um and then randy on monday the 7th yep the 7th i believe at 6 p.m he's going live uh, to talk about new new mexico application strategies um over on youtube though we have uh, Bo's Colorado Deer Hunt, that already is up. Uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out. The um, New Mexico App Strategy uh, video Randy did will be up there as well. And you can t check out Jim Heffelfinger's deer biology video as well. Um, so yeah. As for what's going on with the crew, Randy's busy as ever. He's always just recording podcasts, on phone calls, just doing all sorts of stuff. Staying as busy as could be for the rest of the crew. Um, you know, we were doing important things like hanging up some new taxidermy. We helped uh, Bart May move his bighorn sheep, full life-size uh, bighorn sheep mount into the office, which was pretty sweet. It's a definitely a welcome addition. Um, but yeah, the three of us are out here filming, but back at the office, I heard that we are missing out on David's whitetail enchiladas, which sounds uh, pretty awesome. I'm pretty sad we're missing it. David uh, went hunting for the first time last year. I took him out and he shot a, a doe whitetail and he went out this year by himself and uh, killed a buck on public land. He's cooking it up for the crew. So on to headlines. Ooh, fish? No. Okay, back to back to headlines. But anyway, Sunday hunting bills. I didn't realize how many uh, states had restrictions on Sunday hunting. Uh, recently, the Sportsman Alliance put together a document that showed kind of all of the current legislation going on Sunday hunting bills, uh, which is pretty interesting. You can kind of see, track the progress of it in various states. There's six states right now including, I listed them here, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Massachusetts, and South Carolina. And it varies from being able to hunt on public land or not being able to hunt on public land on Sundays or type of hunting. Uh, so there's all sorts of legislation going forward with that. We got a recent study was published in Nature, which is one of those big boy journals. It's like a big deal to get published in Nature. Uh, Peer-reviewed, vetted by a very qualified biologist. But anyway, this study was published that looked into the role that hunting plays in these disease transmission in mountain lions. Previously, there had been very little research done on this, um, so it's pretty pretty cool to see stuff like this coming out. They found that, um, anyway, they found that there was an, an, immu an immune, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, immunodeficiency? There was a virus. There was a virus that they found in cats. I have to keep it simple. I have a simple mind. But anyway, virus in cats, and they found that it uh, 
increased with the lack of hunting pressure. They studied populations that had previously been hunted and without a lack of hunting pressure, the, the virus went up, uh, mostly in the male cats uh, that were increasing a viral load amongst the population. And so, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I wanted to read the full study and uh, unfortunately it costs money and I'm too cheap to pay the $30 to read the one journal article. That's one of my pet peeves with some of these journals. They're really cool. They're really, really good articles, uh, but you have to pay money to access them, which uh, is kind of unfortunate. Um, on to Utah. There was a bill passed recently that affects how outfitters and their clients will be able to conduct transactions this year. Go Hunt did a press release of press release of sorts on it. Brady Miller put this out. Uh, it was one of those things I kind of had to read the bill full uh, a couple times and I still don't fully comprehend what it means. But if I'm reading it correctly, it sounds like outfitters and guides will only be able to hire one person per client per animal per year. I think it, it was worded interestingly. I don't fully understand it, but uh, it definitely is restricting the amount of people that can be guided on on hunts in Utah, or how many guides can go on a particular hunt in Utah, and how much they can be paid for their activities. Um, so last week I mentioned Wyoming, Senate File 61, which was essentially allowing sage-grouse farming to continue. So this bill is progressing. Um, it sounded like there was quite a bit of support among the committee members who are voting on it. It's a super long committee name, so I'm not going to name it now. But anyway, the proponents of the bill kind of continue to focus on whether uh, the sage grass farming is effective or not. Uh, while the opponents of it are kind of saying that's irrelevant whether the sage grass farming is effective or not because it's uh, more about this available sage grass habitat, not just the number of sage grass. The, you know, the research on this is pretty clear to me. Uh, basically, there's no doubt that habitat loss and destruction of habitat uh, has caused the sage grass decline. Knowing that, it was interesting that I heard this quote in the meeting. Uh, I'm pretty sure without her even realizing it, she kind of explained this, uh, the situation pretty well. State Senator Wendy Schuler. Uh, this is from a Wyoming Legislature Committee meeting on February 22nd. Quote, Looking in my neck of the woods growing up, we had a lot of sage hen. A lot of times we would see them, especially during haying season. We hardly see any of them anymore, and that concerns me. I am very concerned about the sage grass becoming endangered, so I tend to lean towards the game farm up there. End quote. Uh, I find this interesting because the fact that she was saying she was haying, uh, indicates that she was no longer on a sagebrush landscape uh which sage grouse need and uh this isn't the only time i've heard this anecdote i've heard a lot of i know people that have had farms that have mentioned man we used to have sage grass all over and i i look around the farm and it's nothing but wheat fields and maybe a few ditches and um while state while sharp-tailed grouse have adapted to agriculture uh sage grouse just haven't they're, they're not going to they just don't they don't utilize agriculture agricultural well so uh it's interesting that this continues to push forward but uh we'll have to see uh how that all shakes out hey michael you mark any fish also in wyoming a, there has been a corner crossing case that has been in the news with all of the hunting circles it's been circulating for the last couple of months uh it's been beaten to death but i'm going to cover it here anyway because there's a few new things going on so if you're unfamiliar with corner crossing, it's when four parcels of land come together and they meet at one point, creating a checkerboard pattern. Uh, this exists mostly because of the way the land was allocated to the railroads back in the day, giving them every other section of land. At the time, I don't think they were really concerned with the access being an issue. But fast forward many years, and now you have two public property corners touching. Hunters primarily like to try to get to that pro public property and the question of whether that is allowed or not is kind of a gray area. Um, with this Wyoming case, these four hunters 
they put a, a ladder over the corner so they never touched the ground. They crossed the section, they hunted, and now they are be tra being charged with criminal trespass. This is significant because it's different than civil trespass. So um, I think a lot of people are hoping that it's going to add clarity to the situation, um, depending on what happens with this case. But we don't necessarily know um, if it's going to if it's going to clarify it or not. I think the hopes were high. Wyoming backcountry hunters and anglers put together a GoFundMe for the court case to defend these guys. It might clarify that area in Wyoming, but nationwide it's not going to necessarily set precedent. It's going to be locally likely. So Randy has been super interested in the corner crossing thing for a long time. Uh, he has been working with several attorneys, discussing all the legal um, aspects of this, and they're working on a podcast right now, which might be out by the time this episode releases. I'm not sure, but super interesting stuff. Definitely worth a listen. Hunt Talk Radio, Randy talking with some attorneys. Um, definitely give it a listen. This is pretty significant because there's an estimated 1.6 million acres that would be gained in access if we could corner cross. So uh, yeah, that's a significant chunk of land that's uh, up for grabs for hunting if corner crossing were to be allowed. So for our deeper dive this week, we are looking into uh, the North American model again, tenant number two, which is markets for game are eliminated. Uh, this was a significant thing that they identified at the time, uh, eliminating selling wild game meat primarily. It was a huge driver for the, for the uh, decline of a lot of species. And uh, it's now that we're in modern times, there's a lot of different aspects in, comes in, that come into question of whether uh, the market should be eliminated or not. Uh, and the things that interest me particularly about it are shed horn hunting uh, aspects. And so we dive a little bit into that and kind of uh, explore what that tenant means, why it was, the history behind it, and uh, yeah, just good old conversation. Let's cut to that. I'll stop rambling. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. All right, for the deeper dive this week, we're going to talk a little bit about the North American model again, tenant number... Two is what it is, I think. I don't know why I wrote six. That okay. was a lie. I'm pretty sure it's tenant two, which okay. is markets for game mm. are eliminated. Yeah. But we're going to expand that into a few more. We're going to... Really? Well, I think I, I like... I'm going to use it as a tangent to talk about shed hunting, and you think you were going to talk about trapping mm -hmm. a little bit, because yeah. we still have markets for those <clears> two things. We do. Amongst and others. Yeah. And so I think you ought to explain the history of all this and see how yeah. it applies today, how narrow it was intended to be, or how wide it was intended to be. Well, I think it's hard, too, because even, like, when all this was happening, and, I mean, it started to happen in the mid-1800s, right. I don't think anyone could have predicted exactly the path forward, exact what were going to be the factors that influence why people want to utilize wildlife. Right. And so, at the time, what they were doing made sense for the time, and I think mm -hmm. a lot of it still continues to make sense. But, right. yeah, so the history of it was, yeah, in the 1800s, game meat was like some of the best meat around. It was yeah. super desirable. Everybody wanted game meat. Yeah. So that was unique to the time. 
and then there was no regulation on selling it. So yeah. you could just, there, it was, yeah, completely unregulated. People had punt guns. They'd shoot down flocks of ducks. I mean, we all but yeah. exterminated the bison. Oh, yeah. Passenger pigeons extinct. Gone. Um, what yeah, else? You got the, any other? The, it was, it at was, the time, abreast of canvas back at the you know, fancy restaurant mm-hmm. in New York sold for more than an ounce of gold. It's crazy. And right now, what's gold? $1,600 an ounce or something <laughs> like that? So. Yeah, it was, some of it was like delicacies. Yeah. Super high demand. So eventually people decided we need to do something about this when you start to basically wipe out a species or could actually do wipe out a species. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think according to the, our good old North American document, they said in the mid-1800s is the first time that they started to note people eliminating game markets, with, yep. which was the New York Sportsman's Club was one of them, Boone and Crockett Club. George Bergenell was advocating it, and mm-hmm. advocating for it in Forest and the Stream. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so basically started to hammer down on these markets, and then the big one was the Lacey Act, yep. 1900, which yeah. was a nationwide ban on trafficking in illegal wildlife, yeah. and there was like an actual severe punishment associated with it. Yeah, and then severe. <laughs> I yeah. And it's still in existence today. Yeah. And then Migratory Bird Act, yep. or Migratory Bird Treaty, rather, in the 1916, 1916 yeah. yeah. And, uh, An interesting side note to that period of time, yeah. that's when the women's suffrage voting movement was going on. Mm-hmm. And they were enlisted for a lot of this because they were the consumers of fancy decor for hats, which was mostly feathers from these migratory birds. And so they became a very powerful force at the same time they were obtaining their right to vote 100 years ago. Interesting, yeah. So. But yeah, with the migratory birds, that was like significant because, you know, they cross borders. Mm-hmm. And so by eliminating the, or protecting them on an international scale was pretty significant. Yep. But, and I think the reason that it made so much sense too is like it's easier to, if you realize that there's an issue where you're killing all the wildlife, mm-hmm. rather than trying to restrict it in the field and saying, here's some hunting regulations, if you know the big source of the demand is buying them in the cities by eliminating those markets, you've curbed a lot of that. Right. All and you just like restricted no demand, it in the There's not going to be any supply right, if there's yeah. no demand. So. And we, it was way easier to do that than to take the three game wardens Montana had for the state at the time and try to create a field of 200 game wardens. Right. So. Well, even now, I think even now with like a pretty good structure and decent pay and like good funding, it's still mm-hmm. hard to for game wardens to enforce laws right. across everywhere. I mean, yeah. it's like they still have huge tracts of land that they're trying to enforce these laws on. So I think there's still some application to that for sure today. Yep. Um, but yeah, you said you were talking a little bit more about this this morning of mm-hmm. some of the exceptions and how he's saying it wasn't necessarily to eliminate all right. markets. Right. It, the, so the North American model, as we call it, Val Geist, who recently passed away, Dr. Geist, was the person who crafted this with the help of Shane Mahoney and John Organ. And it wasn't like this is something that was stamped in stone in 1850 and this is the law we have to follow. Okay. It's an explanation of kind of the general concepts we've used to recover and manage wildlife in mm-hmm. this country. In a lot of these laws that made up the, the effort 
to reduce the commercial markets for food and, and parts of, of species that were imperiled wasn't designed to get rid of all commercial activity around wildlife. Mm. Uh, because one of the things that often comes up as someone like me who traps are like, wait a second, trapping, you're selling these furs, right? you're selling the casters, you're selling the tails, you're, you know, whatever. There's very much a market for it. Exactly. Yeah. And there always has been. Yeah. I mean, and so the way that that's been handled is more through uh, quotas, through yep. highly regulated harvests like Montana, you, you catch a bobcat, you got to go turn it in and get right. sealed in most western states. So the species that are of concern in trapping have very strict harvest regulations and quotas and everything else. Now there are some species where they're borderline nuisance, right. you know, beaver, muskrat, stuff like that, coyotes. They're, it's pretty open. Yeah. Um, but the intent of these laws that were passed that now are kind of bundled into that one tenet of elimination of, of commercial markets never was intended to cover trapping. It wasn't intended to cover commercial harvest of seafood, mm -hmm. stuff like that. I mean, once you start thinking there's this narrow definition to how this was intended, there's a whole world of things that have been going on that people are going to say, wait a second, that's in yeah. violation of the North American model. Yeah, yeah. But I think, uh, yeah, like you said, it's kind of a historical story of how we got to where we are, and you right. can definitely learn a lot from history. And I think if, mm -hmm. like, if, for instance, if there was all of a sudden way higher demand for coyote pelts or whatever it is, and they became right. extremely valuable, right. then it would probably lead to something, some sort of change mm -hmm. quota uh, in it. But I feel like with trapping, it almost, like, self-regulates in the there's just realistically not that much interest in it right and so it's just like pretty yeah. wide open because there's just not a huge demand so right. if that changes in the future i, I imagine you know the law is going to change with it but yeah um but we, yeah. we can get into all kinds of things related to this i mean we could get into shed antlers yep we could That's get into a whole lot of things that some would say hey if you want to use this very narrow view of what that tenant meant mm -hmm. and the, the, the history that brought it to, okay, here's all these laws, here's this history that caused us to say, one of the tenants was how we eliminated the commercial markets. That's looking in the rearview mirror, looking out the front windshield, you know, shed antlers or well, whatever it might be similar and reptiles, to that. turtles, that stuff is still, and like, that's something I don't know that much about and I kind of am more curious about looking mm -hmm. into more because yeah. it's about fairly, yeah, it's, you can still sell alligator meat, right? And like, alligator hides. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then hides in general, like mm -hmm. you can taxidermy hides, antlers, all that. You yeah. can sell post harvest. It's just the meat. And so it's this, and I feel like and in a lot of realms, it hasn't, hit a critical mass where it is an issue where it's like actually, you know, gonna damage the resource to a significant level or like threaten wildlife species. But yeah. I think in some cases it, and that's what I want to dive in a little further is shed antler hunting. Yeah, but you, you do, you, you go and oh look yeah. for shed antlers. I don't. So for me, I could use this very narrow definition of how this should be applied to say, 
screw that antler shed antler stuff that that's damaging to the the, you know you're disturbing animals that are in their most critical phase of their life da 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 well that's the thing i'm not going to say that but i could because i don't do it i think that is the that is the thing though is i i think shed antler hunting is starting to have a significant impact on wildlife do you i i mean in certain areas undoubtedly Okay. And I think people struggle to realize that, and I'm sure people are laughing at me right now. But I like mm-hmm. I don't think people realize how critical that that time of year is for right. animals. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I spooked this elk a half mile. Like that, that's not going to kill it. But it's not just you. Right. If there's a trailhead with 20 vehicles at it, and there's a bunch of people, and then there's people walking their dogs, and they're chasing them, it's just like another factor. Mm-hmm. And is even that... in the spring, like in the gr- there'll be grass on the ground, green grass. And animals are still dying during that time because right. they're in such weak condition. Yeah, and so it's just like I, I think largely people don't understand how critical that time of year is. So but is that the response to, or is a response to that the fact that I think Wyoming and Utah for sure I think if yeah I, I wrote remember them down. right they have shed antler seasons. So yeah, so Utah, you have to take an ethics course. Whoa, and that, you and have to take an ethics course? Yep. Whoa, that's even an a online higher ethics level course of regulation. If you're going to shed hunt between February 1st and April 15th, mm-hmm. and then they did in the past have emergency orders that temporar- temporarily banned it. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought that was an interesting thing because in 2017 when they temporary, temporarily banned it, then Nevada was co- uh, complaining because right. they had a Everybody big migration. Went there big migration of flat rims into Nevada <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, had to get that joke in there. But That's any- an inside joke. <laughs> Marcus uses the term flat brim sometimes where I'm like, what does that mean? But okay. But anyway, so Nevada following year, they implemented shed season uh, mm-hmm. or a prohibition, I guess, during January 1st through April 30th in certain counties mm-hmm. on public land. Right. And that's, I think most of these apply to public land. Right. Um, Colorado, January 1st through April 30th, wow. west of I-25, plus some additional restrictions in the Gunnison. Wyoming, um, west of the Continental Divide, prohibits it on public on Forest Service land, I think, January 1st through April 30th. Um, so Montana are, are, doesn't have much until, except for wildlife management areas. Right, our WMA is May 15th. 15th. May 15th. So do you think you'll ever see, because you know, so I'm, 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 I'm not into the antler mm-hmm. shed and stuff, this is, I've heard about it, but I didn't know it was this many states doing it. You ever think we'll ever see it, no non-resident shed hunting allowed? Oh, I think that's definitely on the table. I mean, the writing's on the wall. Like, just, these are these are all recent. Like, this is in the last f- five years, most, ten, I don't know. I'm huh. not sure about all of it, but it's fairly recent, I think. Cause, and the big thing is the value of shed antlers are, okay. Is it, I is might it, be reaching here. I okay. think one of the big things is the value of shed antlers. Are they worth that much money? Yes. I think like if you find a bit, and I, I haven't looked at prices recently, yeah. so I'm not entirely sure if this is accurate, but I, I know at one time when I sold some old antlers, like the like if you have a big set of elk antlers, like mm-hmm. you're into it, you could make $300 off of one set of elk antlers. So every and time like, I, grow, on, I, I find an antler, I hang it in a tree, I might be hanging yeah. 50 bucks well, in and, the tree. Yeah, and so if they're white, you know, they're worth less, or chalky, yeah. they're worth less and less. But but still, like, and I'm, I'm sure that brown elk antlers, brown deer antlers are still worth a lot of money. And so I think uh-huh. when you when there's, when you can make a significant amount of money, mm-hmm. ethics start to get thrown out the window, legality starts to get thrown out the window, people just lose their mind. 
and really? like, and I'm sure they're still going to be interested, even if you. So that uh, the reason that we're diving into this, because like I wonder if mm. you made it illegal to sh- sell shed antlers, mm-hmm. if you applied the same tenet of no mm-hmm. markets for shed antlers, right. would that alleviate a lot of the pressure? I it probably know. will never happen, but right. I, I, I I don't know. That's I don't know. And I, but the thing is, I love shed hunting. I'm a hypocrite because I, I <laughs> like I like going out in the spring. It's fun to walk around. It's oh. fun to look at animals. But and like and I'm cognizant of it. I'm trying to think of like, am I damaging the resource? Am I mm-hmm. chasing these animals? Like I don't, you know, I don't want them. I'm like, right. I, I think about like, it. But even then, it it's seems still like a perfect place for the tragedy of the commons. Oh where, yeah. Well, if I don't get that. If I'm not the first one there, I'm not going to get it. Yeah. So you end up with each individual not having the collective ethos that would benefit the process. Right. Which is, you know, if you go read the old tragedy of the Commons story, everyone wanted to graze the last blade of grass. Because if my cattle or my sheep don't graze that grass, someone else's will. Yep. Yep. And so you end up with nothing left and it damages the resource. So I I don't do it. I'm I'm usually spring bear hunting then. But. Well, you can do spring bear hunting. Now, so <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> no, it's hard because I think, I think I'm think i sure people are still just like, but you really aren't doing that much damage. Like, okay, you spook a few deer, you spook mm-hmm. a few elk. But yeah. I I think, especially in certain areas, it, it has to have an impact. Really? And like, I, yeah, because even when I think about it, I know that I have definitely spooked stuff and then I just, mm-hmm. you feel bad. Yeah. And then it's just like, and then the next guy, it goes to the next trial where there's another shed hunter and they spook it or whatever, you know. I think it adds up. But So do you think <sighs> that the North American model that we operate kind of, or that explains how we operate, mm-hmm. do you think people are going to look at that and eventually ask for further restrictions on, on, maybe not just the activity of collecting shed antlers, but the market? For shed antlers, which to me is like, how would you do that? That'd be mm-hmm. like, because you aren't going to get all states to comply. You aren't, you know. I, I just don't see that happening. So no, I guess probably we probably not. will have like, state regulations. Yep. That, yeah, realistically. But most of our regulations, not most, but a lot of our regulations, have been in response to commercial activities that exploit a resource. That's, that's yeah. why. That's why in some states, you aren't allowed to have unlimited outfitters. Right. You, you have a licensing process and a licensing board mm-hmm. so that you don't have an outfitting camp in every basin. So, I mean, we have rules. Yeah. It's, we, no, it gets interesting. laws that whenever, oh. it, it's kind of like this pendulum swings in society or the state citizens say, no, let's push it back. Yeah. And then maybe it goes this far, let's push it. And, well, you're opening up a whole new can of worms because if you, if you're talking like, just, I think that's easy to see like the physical impacts of like when mm-hmm. you just are killing an animal and via pressuring it, shed hunting or mm-hmm. just selling the meat, whatever. It's like very easy to, but like that when you start talking about just commercial activity commercial, in general, there's more people in the landscape increasing the demand for it yeah like you talked about outfitters we could talk about ourselves yeah in a tv show commercial right. i mean like anything you can that, make an argument that we are definitely commercializing wildlife to some extent mm-hmm. and social media posting pictures increasing right. demand right. for the big ga- bucks and the gas whatever. station at it's, four corners that says come get your breakfast burrito you know hunters welcome you know where where, where does that stop 
or, or what, how wide does it apply? It's, those are all valid things that society is going to decide where that applies. Right. Yeah. And I think bringing it back, though, it's like we do have like really good state agencies that regulate like, OK, but even if there is a high demand for hunting species, whatever, we're only going to give so many permits for that unit or right. whatever. So like that right. usually encompasses everything. But yeah, that's why I brought up the shed hunting is mm -hmm. largely it's the wild west out there. You can. Yeah. And yeah. It, I think it, it, it is a consumptive use. I yeah. think we have to admit that it's a consumptive use. And I know some people are will never admit it. And they. Yeah. For me, but, I'm, you know, yeah. the walleyes are biting in early May, so I'm, yeah. I, but I think the point of all this, re regardless whether you talk about it in the context of trapping or alligators or shed hunting, is the North American model says one of our tenants is when commercial markets start having an impact on the strength, the robust, the longevity of that species, we are going to have state and federal intervention yeah yep is kind of the 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 way to say how that tenant applies not like it's this narrow corridor that you got to operate in mm -hmm. and anything outside of that is in violation it's kind of saying historically here's what's recovered these species and when commercial markets imperil those species we will take action yeah yep is that i like that i feel like that's a, almost a good note to to wrap up on <laughs> before we get too far into the weeds into something else. Send your emails to Marcus on this, not me, because I don't do shed antler hunting. I, send I, your emails to weekly at freshtracks.tv. <laughs> and mostly we want to know if there's stuff that we should we should know about. Cover for this uh Did you this send weekly an email show? for that? Yeah, we got Weekly a, we, at freshtracks.tv. Yeah, we got a new email, separate inbox, so you can send us some ideas for what we should talk about. Cool. Well, uh, we could do just this one topic here. I could see like a hundred rabbit holes. You tell me which ones that you want to go down. I'll follow you. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks for watching. <laughs>